Hi, I'm Prophet Nati. Thanks for listening to the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Meditate with us every Monday as we seek to educate you on the latest developments and personal stories of those shaping the cannabis economy across the region. Now here's your program. Today we have the Belize Cannabis Foundation and member Rene joining us as well as Talisha. They are both a part of the Belize Cannabis Foundation and they'll just be sharing with us their own experiences dealing with cannabis from where they are at as well as what the Belize Cannabis Foundation has to offer. So ladies, how are you all today? Good. We're doing good. Good to hear. So just to give us a sense of geography, which part you all are joining us from today? I'm originally from Belize. I am I'm currently in the U.S., but I'm still representing the foundation, which is located in Belize. And you're in it? So I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I very rarely travel out of state, especially for the past 18 months with COVID. Today, I happened to be in Milwaukee to attend a family member's wedding. And I apologize for being a little late. I think I got the time frame mixed up. I thought 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock. But anyway, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the time on the Saturday time zones are always always tricky. Let's still get straight into it. You all are both members of the Belize Cannabis Foundation. What exactly is the Belize Cannabis Foundation and your mission? Okay, um uh the Belize Cannabis Foundation one it's a non fit and the the goal of the Belize Cannabis Foundation is to bring awareness, um, sensitization to the public. Um, of Belize to the people, we're aiming to remove the, the stigma of cannabis, marijuana, weed, whatever name you might know it as, because over, like you mentioned earlier, over the past years, people have developed a negative aspect when they hear the word marijuana or cannabis. So the mission of the Belize Cannabis Foundation is to remove that or to enlighten people on what it actually is. So we're here to challenge the misinformation. We're here to give the correct information, give people the proper uses of more healthier uses of marijuana, cannabis, whether it's medical, recreational, and just whether it's for food and just have people realize that, you know what, it can be a plus instead of a negative because we always see the negative in it. And the reality of it is like Renee said, it's been in use over a multitude of decades. And it has, besides being used as a drug, the plant in itself can be used for many things. Um, whether it's paper, clothing, ointment, it, it, it's, the, the, the plant is very productive. And we can use the plant to um, build so much. So our goal as the foundation is to bring that awareness to people. Um, in Belize locally and eventually reaching further parts of the Caribbean and internationally. I totally agree. The plant is a holistic use plant and it's not just on one aspect for recreation or just for medicine, but it touches on many different aspects of human life. Um, in terms of you, Rene, how were you introduced to the Belize Cannabis Foundation seeing as how you're from Baltimore, U.S. originally? So stretches across, um, you know, boundaries, continents and countries. So, you know, having um, been in the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy and being in the medical cannabis program, 
I've reached out. There's a huge network of people that are just like the three of us that are cannabis advocates that are very passionate about it. So we've networked, you know, within the school and then reached out through other organizations. There are a couple of really strong medical um, education sites, the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, and then there's an International Society of Cannabis Clinicians um, that have webinars and free educational information to help educate providers and also to help educate lay people. So, you know, the more I think that you will network with people, you know, this community continues to grow and become stronger. And it's just a groundswell of a movement of trying to improve the health of the population and the environment, decrease the stigma, decrease all the pain that's come from the illegalization of cannabis. And those of us that are in the cannabis industry, as you see healing take place, you become more and more passionate about it. You know, I feel like I just continue to remain humble, even though, you know, I've been blessed with the education and the experience. There's all, there are always new things that I'm learning about cannabis and hemp that I didn't know before. One other thing, if I could say one other thing while I have, have this train of thought, when I started to learn about cannabis, the first people that were my teachers were my patients. You know, my patients that had used cannabis from other states that had used cannabis illegally and described to me, you know, very passionately about the healing that it caused. That is what encouraged me really to go down the rabbit hole and discover and learn as much as I could about cannabis as medicine because it really was helping people. Okay, awesome. That, that's great to hear. So before you started dealing with patients with medical cannabis, what were you doing before then? Oh, my goodness. So I graduated from nursing school in 1983. I've been a nurse um, in Baltimore, and I've done a lot of wonderful things with my career. I worked as a hospice nurse. I worked med surge, ER. Um, I worked in Baltimore City as a forensic nurse examiner for maybe nine years, um, collecting evidence on uh, victims of sexual assault, domestic violence. I have had a long career in public health. Currently, I work for um, a local health department. And my full-time job is family planning, STD treatment. And then, of course, the past 18 months have been consumed with COVID testing, vaccination, um, teaching, education, and, of course, senior you know, cannabis. Now the full nine yards, so you have a wealth of <laughs> experience in the, not just in the medical cannabis industry, but just in the medical industry itself. Uh, in terms of transitioning from Western medicine into an alternative form of medicine. Um, how has that experience um, been like? Is it similar or there are many differences that you have seen throughout that time? There are a lot of um, differences with transitioning, especially to cannabis. Cannabis is still a federally controlled illegal Schedule One drug. And I really didn't disclose publicly or really come out of the closet with cannabis until I graduated in May because, you know, like a lot of us, you know, there's a fear of, you know, job loss. There's a fear of the stigma. There's, there's still a lot of fear that goes into, I think, working in the cannabis industry. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, one thing I really felt like the school of pharmacy added to me personally was the degree because a lot of other healthcare providers that I know really, um, you know, have not embraced cannabis as medicine and see it, you know, in a negative light. So, you know, I think that, you know, formal education brings a lot um, to the table with cannabis. It's just a small piece, but as somebody who's been a healthcare provider for years, 
you know, I liked having that background. Okay, great. And it's funny that you you mentioned in terms of coming out of the closet, as you have know, made mention of it. And it's a sad reality many persons do face. Um, many patients themselves, they have to still use cannabis behind closed doors because of the stigma that is attached to it, because it's still illegal in many parts. And you, there's still that fear of losing your job or not being able to enter certain groups because of how cannabis use is viewed. And, I mean, conversations such as this always assist in furthering, furthering that cause. What I want to get into a little bit is in terms of Belize itself. So, Talisha, um, just share with us how has the, been the, the reception in terms of advancing um, cannabis been in Belize itself? Well, um, Nathaniel, it's still, it's still a rough road. Belize is very religious, uh, as you know, most Caribbean countries are. <laughs> they have that strong, uh, Christianity hold. And when, because of the stigma that the country has been programmed into that, oh, weed, um, or cannabis or marijuana, it's, if you smoke it uh, or if you use it, you're, you're, you're a bum, uh, a mist, you're rebellious, you're, not going to be productive in anything. All you do is sleep all day, eat all day, and you don't want to work. You know, so um, growing up with that, everyone growing up with that mindset in Belize, especially the older generation, um, us coming out and saying, "Well, we're pro cannabis," is a is a huge battle. Um, Ron and I have had to sit down with leaders in the different areas and explain to them that we're not telling people to smoke who are under age. We're not. Even though we, we, we are users ourselves and we do smoke cannabis, we are not encouraging people to smoke cannabis. We're encouraging people to look at it from a medical point of view instead of getting people hooked on pain medication and all these other, um, antipsychotic drugs. Let's, let's look at marijuana as the, um, replacement. That's a healthier replacement for such things. Let's look at marijuana as an aid when it comes to helping the environment we we brought for the environmental properties um let's look at it as an economic factor wherein we could establish making clothes making books making concrete we have a, a partner that has a whole entire concrete factory and the main the main thing that he uses is the cannabis plant and the blocks are stronger you know and it's more um natural so it does not affect the environment we've had to come from that point to have people hear us out because um when we they hear Belize cannabis they the first the first mindset was oh these people are rebellious they're trying to brainwash the younger generation into being rebellious and bad and you know the older folks were hard on us for it but we have gotten traction we've um spoken to ministers in government and We've explained to them what we are here to do. We can't stop nobody from smoking weed and we're not encouraging nobody to smoke weed. But we can bring about um, the right information and educate people properly. Because just telling someone something is bad and not telling them why it's bad defeats the purpose. So we're here to tell them, okay, smoking in itself is bad. It's not good for the lungs. But if you are a cannabis user, there are other methods. For example, you can eat it. People use it to cook. There are um, other recreational ways such as gummies. For people who want to still use it, still get a certain level of high. But that's not our entire role. That's not who we are. 
we are here on a holistic journey to educate people on what it is. We have communications with the Rastafarian community in Belize where they use cannabis mm -hmm. on a spiritual level, not just a recreational level. They use it spiritually. So understanding these aspects, we're bringing and sensitizing the public of Belize on these areas. And that's what the foundation is aiming for and giving back to the different communities as we grow. Correct. Definitely agree. And I, it's all too familiar. We're trying to get over that hurdle of the older generation religion because we are very conservative in the Caribbean, as you would have um, pointed out. In terms of the legislation, though, if I'm not mistaken, I know that you all in 2017 would have decriminalized up to 10 grams, as well as you all have industrial hemp legal. And um, what is the status with that? Be seen smoking in public places. Um, they can still charge you, but if you're at home and or in your personal vehicle, you're okay. And they have legalized industrial hemp. So they have done, they do have some farms of, of growing hemp in Belize already. And like, um, if I can be blunt, like with any country politics plays a role. So, um, part of what we're aiming to do is instead of letting only the, the bigger fishes at the top, eat from this market, we're aiming to see how, since the law has been passed, how we can bring in local farmers to invest. So I think the goal um, that she was pointing to was to bring in, you know, local farmers um, who are already on the ground in Belize to reap the benefit of, you know, growing hemp and growing, uh, hopefully in the future, growing cannabis. Yeah, definitely agree on that's something we can never take for, for granted. That's something I've been seeing within the, the United States as well. So I'm not too sure from your own experience how has been like minority groups participation in terms of the medical cannabis industry by you? Um so in regards to that, um we need to do a lot better. Um it's been kind of like, you know, business as usual. You know, like I said, the groups that have been adversely affected are, um, you know, our communities of color that have suffered through years of illegalization and criminalization still need to um, be lifted up and brought to the table. And that is something that is always considered. In Maryland, there are not many, um, there are not many minority, there are a few, but not a whole lot of minority owned dispensaries. Um, the federal government still says this is illegal. There aren't um, loans, there aren't business loans available um, for upfront capital. Um, people that have dispensaries, to the best of my knowledge, so I'm mostly in the medical part, but um, to the best of my knowledge, the people that own the dispensaries bring the capital um, with them. You know, there's not a mechanism in place for people to take out a loan for a business, and hopefully that'll, that will change. So as you go forward, you know, maybe you can learn from our mistakes. Um, we've made many mistakes that we need to correct. Definitely. Uh, I would have actually had a discussion with someone from Canada, and they were just giving us where they would have started off compared to where some islands in the Caribbean are today, um, one being Jamaica, which would have started off at a better place. So in terms of having these conversations, in terms of looking at other countries, other states that have um, either legalized medical use or legalized recreational use, it's always great to be able to take from other places and learn from their mistakes, as you would have rightfully said. Yeah? One thing I want to go back into is the other methods of 
cannabis or how persons do interact with cannabis. And I think you would be better suited to touch on that, Renee, with your background. So Talisha would have been making mention of how persons make use of cannabis, such as smoking, and she would have gone to some other methods of consumption. In terms of medical cannabis, what are some of the methods of consumption that are better, better suited for those who want to use it on that medicinal level? Um, some people uh, that come for certification that have experience with cannabis, um, if they have always ever smoked it and that's what they want to continue to do, you know, by all means, if that works for them. In terms of um, me- and cannabis use, we know how medicine works on a person's body. And then the other part, the, that's the pharmacodynamics. The pharmacokinetics is what your body does to, you know, the medicine. So there's no generic standard across the board, you know, for a certain cannabis type or method of use. So I always, you know, people always have their own biases. And I always tell my patients, you know, my bias as an older healthcare professional and somebody that grew up in Baltimore where our air quality is constantly challenged, I'm not a big fan of encouraging people to smoke anything. But if people want to smoke cannabis, by all means, go ahead and do it. And then I'll discuss vaping. Um, One of my favorite methods um, for chronic pain um, for patients like joint pain is um, topical medical cannabis, half THC, half CBD. You can put that on the part of the body that aches. People get pain relief with this. Um, One thing um, I kind of tweaked with this teaching through the years is to try to cover it with saran wrap so it stays on your body and it doesn't go into your clothing or skin. Um, People like that. The risk versus benefit with the topical The risk is very small. The risk is if you're allergic to an ingredient that it's made of, um, and then the benefit is great. It doesn't cause the psychoactive high. Um, It does give um, pain relief. So I feel like it's a safe method for people to use who may be at risk for a fall if they would be impaired um, from a psychoactive high or from a prescription medication. Um, I did interestingly have one patient that told me she couldn't use the topical cannabis she had a problem with severe keloid scarring. Um, and she said she was allergic to tree nuts. And in Maryland, most of the topical medical cannabis is compounded with coconut oil. So she would be somebody that if she wanted to move forward with topical use would probably need to compound her own product without a tree nut. So I like the topical. There are other um, transcutaneous methods. Um, we do in Maryland have topical cannabis patches that people can use. Um, And I've had some patients like with autoimmune disorders and, you know, chronic like generalized joint pain, um, you know, disclose that it's not practical to put topical all over their body every day, time-wise, or probably, um, you know, it's not cost-effective either. But the topical patches work also. And then in the past one to two years, I've seen our dispensaries come out with um, a THC Epsom salt bath soap that um, I find a lot of my patients with autoimmune disorders like to use in the evening to help them relax and get a good night's sleep and get that restorative sleep that helps them wake up in the morning feeling better um, as opposed to using sleeping pills and um, narcotics. So that's just talking about smoking. I didn't, I didn't talk about vaping, but you know, it's, uh, topical, transcutaneous. Um, I'm a big fan of um, trying to start patients on um, sublingual drops I like the sublingual administration because patients have control over how much they use. Um, In Maryland, the cannabis um, topical drops, it's sold in a dispensary. It's in a glass vial. 
It's in a blue or brown vial. It protects it from light. It lives in the refrigerator um, after you get it, and it has an eyedropper. So you can dose it under your tongue, and the onset of action may be like one to five minutes. With the CBD, it does, CBD helps with pain, inflammation, anxiety. It doesn't cause that THC um, intoxication or psychoactive high. So I like to encourage patients that are naive to cannabis to start with the CBD and or a topical product. Try the CBD to, uh, under your tongue, go up on the dose and frequency. And then when you get to the end of the vial, basically, if you haven't gotten symptom relief with the THC, go back to the dispensary, um, start with the smallest amount of THC in the product, and then gradually go up on that until people find what I call that sweet spot where you get symptom relief that you're not so high that you can't function. Um, and with THC use, I always encourage people to try to use it responsibly like you would um, you know, having a glass of wine in the evening. With THC, for people that are THC um, naive, um, you want to be cautious using um, driving, operating heavy machinery, um, and try to avoid the, the THC intoxication if you're responsible for the care of other people. So uh, also with the THC, for people who are used to smoking it and then people want to try, you know, the edibles or the gummies, I always caution people with the THC, when you start to swallow the THC, it goes to your stomach, it goes to your liver, your liver metabolizes it and makes it about four times as strong as when you smoke it. Um, when you start to swallow it with the gummies or the edibles, the onset of action may be one to two hours, depending on what you've just consumed. So for people that are used to smoking cannabis to go from smoking to swallowing THC, you swallow it, nothing happens immediately. Uh, when you smoke it, the onset of action is probably like one to three minutes also because you inhale it, it goes to your bloodstream, it goes, you know, up to your brain. Um, but when you swallow it, the onset of action is one to two hours. So people may think, oh, it didn't do anything and they take more. So when you take too much of it, you get a, a, you get a THC intoxication that you're not looking for. Some people may get um, an anxiety panic attack. You know, I, I, I um, emphasize to people um, that if that happens, um, they don't necessarily need to go to the ER. Their liver and kidney will clear it but it'll be a couple uncomfortable hours, you know, they won't get back. And I want people to feel better, not worse. And I don't want people to have a bad experience with cannabis and stop using it because I think using it, you know, when you're educated and, um, you know, in a manner to improve your health, um, that you'll get symptom relief and you get um, an easing of disease problems. Um, so that's always something I discuss with people with the THC. And then I think, too, is an, another bias I have with edibles as an older healthcare provider. A lot of people talk about going to states that have recreational use and they try cookies and brownies. I'm not a big fan of encouraging people to eat, you know, high fructose foods. You know, it's just not healthy. And then um, in addition to that, when you dose with the edibles with a cookie or a brownie, I don't really know like what milligram of THC you may be ingesting. I think it depends on how well the cannabis product is stirred into um, is stirred into the product. Okay, that's a whole wealth of information that I, even I didn't know before with some some things. So it's always great to hear the different methods of consumption that persons have. How you need to transition from using probably CBD first and then trying with a little bit of THC and increasing your dosage just to get that, that sweet spot 
to get the relief of the symptoms that you are getting from whatever ailment that you have. And which I always advise, I always tell persons, you know, start slow. And if that dose is not working for you, then steadily increase your dose. Because what you find happening with a lot of persons, they jump into edibles because edibles is one of the most discreet ways of consuming it. And they probably will eat a whole brownie, a whole cookie, not really understanding the dosage as well as how the THC is even interacting with the high sugar levels as you would have made, made mention, which will negatively impact your, your high as well. So in, in terms of that, what I want to touch on a bit would be the endocannabinoid system. Now, not many persons are aware of what the endocannabinoid system is, as well as how cannabinoids such as THC as well as CBD interact with it. You could give us a little summary of what exactly is the endocannabinoid system. Um, so the endocannabinoid system is the master regulator of every other system in the body. Um, so all of our body cells have a CB1, CB2 receptor. Um, and the CB1, CB2 receptor are designed to allow um, our own endogenous cannabinoids um, to interact so that our body systems and cell, cell um, transmission can happen properly. So um, just to like put that in terms, our body produces its own internal cannabis or cannabinoids. THC and CBD are the two main cannabis cannabinoids that people of when they hear about cannabis. Scientists have discovered since the 1990s about 140, 160 different substrains of cannabinoids. In the 1990s, scientists discovered the body's internal cannabis cannabinoids. One is called anandamide. It's very chemically similar to THC. The other is called 2-AG and it's very chemically similar to CBD. So the hypothesis is that when we don't feel well, we're in, when we're in a state of disease or unwellness, that for various reasons, um, our body is in an endocannabinoid deficit. So quite simply, what we're looking for is that plant cannabis or cannabinoid that's going to restore our body's endocannabinoid deficit and restore us to wellness and or homeostasis. And plant cannabis is just one step in that journey to health and wellness. And usually like at this point, when I start to talk to people about the endocannabinoid system, I want to remind people that only about maybe five to 8% of medical schools in the U.S. teach about the endocannabinoid system and almost very few nursing schools teach. So our providers are, are, are not aware of it unless they educate themselves. Um, so our population is not aware of it either. And we need to be talking about this. This needs to be on the news. This is so important. And the stigma of using cannabis as medicine needs to go away. Our body's producing internal cannabinoids. We would never, we would never stigmatize the diabetic for using insulin. People that use insulin, their body's not producing enough of it. So they use insulin. People that have a vitamin D deficiency in that bone disease rickets, supplement with vitamin D and try to eat foods high in vitamin D. We wouldn't stigmatize that. People that have scurvy, um, you know, the vitamin C deficiency disease, supplement with vitamin C and or try to eat foods high in vitamin C. We don't stigmatize people that have disease. Um, we should stop stigmatizing people for using cannabis as medicine. 
Now, one of the books that I really like to recommend um, to my patients that are new users, and I feel like what I know, I just stand on the shoulders of the of the cannabis giants that came before me. One of the leaders in cannabis medicine in the U.S. is a Dr. Patricia Fry. I heard her speak at our first seminar, and um, she wrote a book, the the medical cannabis, the medical marijuana guide, and I really like the book. The first part of her book talks about cannabis as medicine. The second part talks about, well, a path to wellness because cannabis is just one part of this. Um, She talks about diet, exercise, stress reduction, meditation. And these are all things that people can educate themselves about um, to also help keep their endocannabinoid system tuned up so that they're not in a deficit. There was something else I wanted to say about the endocannabinoid system that slipped my mind. Sometimes I go sideways. This is what I wanted to say um, about uh, cannabis use. Um, it has a biphasic action, which just kind of simply means we know that when you have an endocannabinoid deficit, your body needs those, those cannabinoids. And if you can restore it, with diet, exercise, meditation, great. Cannabis is another method to restore your body's endocannabinoid deficit, like a diabetic would use insulin. But like a diabetic would also want to consider diet and exercise and stress reduction to help maintain their blood sugars. Um, so people that have illness and use cannabis and feel better also can consider, you know, diet, exercise, stress reduction, and meditation to help keep your body healthy. Um, And in the biphasic to, I guess, kind of simplify, if you take this back to thinking about insulin and diabetes, if you need insulin, you need a certain amount. Too little insulin or too much insulin is a problem. So you can put that same analogy to cannabis use. When you use cannabis, if you're not using enough of it, and you know, like when I counsel patients to start with um, the CBD drops and go up, it's probably starting with not enough, but you can taper up until you get that sweet spot where you feel better. But if you take it to the extreme and if you're using too many cannabinoids or too much THC, it's not helpful either because you've overloaded all those receptors with THC and more is not better. More just like clogs the drain. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And this, this is one of the first sounds I've, I've heard it pushed so clearly in terms of um, the endocannabinoid system as well as how cannabinoids are from cannabis is beneficial to that system. Just like how a diabetic uses insulin because they are insulin deficient, the same way how persons could make use of, of cannabis to assist in that cannabinoid deficiency should they have um, such. A question that I want to ask though, right, Tina, so we touching a little bit on how too much of something can affect you. Um, have you ever dealt with any patients who has been dependent on cannabis? Um, yes. So there's a thought, a theory that if you use too much um, cannabis, too much THC, anybody can have a substance use you know, problem. And too much of anything isn't good. Um, we know too much water, too much water, water intoxication can cause illness and death. So anything with moderation, and this is something I've just always heard through the years from my mother, too much of anything isn't good. So one of the other, um, you know, leaders or giants in cannabis medicine is um, Dr. Dustin Sulak, and he has a great healer.com program that anybody can um, listen to and has got good um, cannabis education. But um, his theory is that if you take too much, you need a cannabis vacation. Um, And he goes extensively through, you know, how people can do that. But if you have too much THC, too many cannabinoids on board, 
um, you want to take a two or three day vacation from it. So your endocannabinoid system can reset those CB1, CB2 receptors that have the channels that allow the cannabinoids in and out so they can reset. Um, and then you can, you know, find that sweet spot again. So, you know, if I had a patient and I, I don't work in primary care, I work in family planning, STD, so I don't do diabetes management, but having been a nurse for years, if I had a patient that was using too much insulin and going in, you know, to a diabetic coma all the time, you know, certainly I would say, okay, let's stop using insulin for a while, you know, for, you know, we'll check your glucose frequently and we'll taper what you need, you know, to what your glucose is telling you. There's no way for us yet to measure what dose of endocannabis cannabinoids we need. And it's difficult to measure the endogenous cannabinoids um, because of the way the body makes them, processes them and, you know, the testing that's needed. Um, That probably will happen in the future. And I think you'll see the future of endocannabinoid medicine move forward much quicker if we can lift the stigma um, surrounding cannabis, remove it from a controlled schedule one drug and allow research. In the U.S., the cannabis that's allowed for research is cannabis that comes from UMass University in Mississippi is what NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, has thought was um, a good idea to use. But the cannabis that's grown in the University of Mississippi, I believe, um, were, were types of cannabis um, from decades ago. And um, there's a movement and or legislation that maybe is has recently passed or is on the cusp of passing to allow researchers to use cannabis that people are actually using in the state that it's grown in. And that would greatly benefit research. It would benefit patients. It would benefit, you know, people that are growing the cannabis. Um, I do think there are um, countries outside the U.S. that are using cannabis that people are using and they're using it for research. It's been difficult for, you know, the past 80 years in the U.S. It's been um, difficult to study, do research and, you know, uh, talk about it openly. Yeah, definitely agree. And it's a, a lot of education still untapped in terms of understanding what the endocannabinoid system is. Um, I actually learned about it first um, a couple of years ago during my psychology degree. Just touched on it briefly and that was the first time actually hearing about it and seeing how it regulates different parts of the body. And I'm always excited to to learn more about the system and to see where it is headed. So as we got that whole education on the endocannabinoid system i want to touch on things happening in belize itself with the foundation so talisha in terms of educational programs or educational drives advocacy drives in belize itself how are you all going about doing so to work with the communities there okay so for for right now um we're since we're, we're a baby foundation first of all but one of one of our one of our goals is to doing where we want to do trainings. We've start. We've done a couple trainings with younger generation persons, um, teenagers, young people, on what some of the same stuff Renee was talking about. We've done that. We're aiming to do to partner with universities and have maybe if it's a, a what do you call it a certified course for persons who want to um, know more about cannabis. Um, in the field that Renee is doing, so we'd have a certified course, um, especially for nur- nurses, pharmacists. We want to do 
trainings with uh we have several doctors and certified nurses on our that partner with us when it comes to the healthcare in Belize we want to partner with them as well um understanding like Renee was saying different persons have different tolerances so understanding that it's not just one dose for all there are different levels and how they would go about um administering or giving cannabis, whether it's CBD oil or the, the capsules or how you would give it to patients. We also, right now, we're, we're in the planning stage for an event, which would be the first of its kind. It's called the Big Chop, where it would be a community event out in a market square where we would get have restaurants come in. They would send their chef and their chef would prepare meals um, for people to test if they wish to, and they would explain how they made the meal, the ingredients that they use, which would also include cannabis. If they're young entrepreneurs who have baked goods or candies, etc., they can present it out there. There's also, we'll be giving, doing educational stuff like, you know, having flyers, pamphlets um, from the organization, explaining cannabis, the, the medical form, the, um, endocannabinoid system how it actually works giving people all that information so for now that's our start and that's where we want to start to lay the foundation for the foundation and get people to know what we're doing so for now that's our take on or or go forward for the belize cannabis foundation in belize at the moment okay great um it's always great to start on on that level in terms of laying the foundation of Bringing the community together, educating, as well as actually showing persons how they could incorporate um, cannabis into different aspects of their life, such as food, medicine, as you would have touched on. So, so for those who want to keep in touch with um, the Belize Cannabis Foundation or assisting moving the agenda of cannabis legalization and destigmatization, how can persons find you all and reach out to you? Okay, we... Um, we're at this moment, we have our Instagram page, the Belize Cannabis Foundation, B-Z-E-C-F-C-A. They could follow us on Instagram. We have our Facebook page, the Belize Cannabis Foundation as well. They could send us a message on either platform and we'll reach, we'll respond to them and continue the process to vet and give them information. Um, we're working on our website. It's not actually up yet but will be up shortly um so those two platforms people could reach out to us and we could start discussions there all right awesome so as we wind on this we on the caribbean cannabis channel we like to ask some non-cannabis related questions so our audience could connect with you all a little bit so the first question we will have to ask are there any books or a quote that you all have used throughout your your life Ah, uh, yes. I have one quote that I've kept with me since um elementary school. Um, I've always been into sports and I had a coach that pushed me and he used to repeat the mantra, mind over matter. And he would always say, it may hurt, but if you tell your mind um, you can do it, your body will catch up with your mind and your body will do it. So I've kept that mantra with me throughout my life that um, no matter how hard the circumstances get, if I 
have the mental capacity and I keep pushing, I can overcome whatever I'm adversity I'm faced. Wise words. Support that that quote. That your your mind is really the most powerful tool that that we have. And and you Renee, is there any books or quote that you live live by? Stay humble and kind. Stay humble and kind. And yeah, you have made mention of being humble several times for the discussion and you I get that energy from from you. And you always refer to those who have been before you in terms of the cannabis movement and just generally and always wanting to build on top of that. And I think that's important for anybody to always be mindful of that no matter what space they are in. Always be humble and be kind and things always come back tenfold for you in the future. Our next question that we love to ask, what is your favorite artist or your favorite song? Oh gosh, I feel put on the spot because I crossed so many generations. So I have a granddaughter who's one and a half and, um, you know, she loves music and we love to sing. So these are some of the new songs I'm like refinding with her. But when I, my sons were little, we used to listen to a lot of Rafi and we sing, her and I, we sing this song. I like to eat apples and bananas. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, we do the cleanup song, um, the wheels on the bus. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the apples and bananas song though. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. What what about you, Talisha? To answer that question, um, it's a bit hard when it comes, but I'll say when it comes to Caribbean music, I'm female artist. My favorite, Shensia. I I do support my Caribbean artists. And when it comes to the males, I would say um, Popcorn has my heart. I'm an unruly gang, <laughs> um, but I do also like country music. So um, and my favorite is Kane Brown and uh, Brett Young. Kane Young and Brett Young. No, Kane Brown. Brown. Kane Brown. Yes. Okay, I'll have to take in their, their music. I'm not familiar with them. Alright, lovely. It has been a pleasure having you all here. The wealth of information um, that you all would have shared as well as what we would have learned can put a, a price on it. So I do thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to share that with us. Before we do leave, is there any advice or wisdom that you would just like to leave with our listeners? As a as a youth counselor or somebody who's all for the youth, I would encourage um, young people to never, never look outside to reach the stars. It's better if they look within and they can do anything they put their mind to. People would come people will come and set limits and boundaries for you but um you're the only one that could push yourself you're the only one who can limit yourself because you know how much you can do and what you can take um so never give up um based on anybody's opinion give your best and you'll receive um great rewards awesome that's great advice and i'll take that wholeheartedly because i'm 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 a youth (laughs) so i still have much living to do and you're in it you know, tell people to always continue learning, always seek truth, seek truth in the universe and believe what you, the research, believe what you know to be true. And when people try to, you know, bring you down or tell you you can't do things, um, you know, have it in your soul to not believe that. Sound wisdom. I, I know for sure that they'll be taking these things wholeheartedly beyond this podcast episode because it's great advice. Alright, so once again, I just want to thank you for taking the time out and for joining us today. Alright, thank you too, Nathaniel. Hi, give thanks for listening to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Be sure to like, share and follow to stay up to date with all the development 
and behind the scenes happening across the Caribbean cannabis community. Until next time, remember to meditate and educate.